Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Peace Bible Church's Sermon Talkback podcast. My name is Casey Lute, and I'm the pastor of Peace Bible Church. And in this podcast, we respond to questions that were submitted each week about our sermons. And so this last Sunday, our most recent sermon, we were preaching in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. This is a passage known as the Annunciation, and in it, God sends the angel Gabriel up to the obscure city of Nazareth, to visit an unknown young woman named Mary, a virgin who will soon give birth to the Messiah, to Jesus. And so there are, as we talked about on Sunday, a lot of parallels between this and the first passage that we covered in Luke, the first part of the narrative, where uh, the angel Gabriel went to Jerusalem to announce the coming of John the Baptist to his father, Zechariah. And so there's a lot of similarities between the passages. As we talked about Sunday, there are a lot of differences between the passages as well. But one of the similarities is that God gives through the angel in each passage, he provides the name for the child who is to be born. But it's interesting in Luke's account, he doesn't give a reason why. Like he just tells Zechariah, you are to name your son John, and he doesn't even tell us what John means. And the same thing with Jesus. Gabriel says, you will uh, conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And then he goes on to say a lot of things about Jesus, like he will be great and will be called son of the most high, and he'll sit on the throne of David and all those sorts of things. But he doesn't actually tell us what the name Jesus is. Means. And so what we see in these passages, I think Luke's emphasis here is that God is the one who is directing this story. God is the one who is naming these children. He is the one who is bringing these children into existence. He is moving history along in this way. But our first question that we're going to respond to today is concerning Jesus's name and why he was given that name. And I love this question because this was passed along by one of our parents in the church, but they passed it along on behalf of uh, their daughter. And so this is a great example here of a family discussing the Word of God. You can see even from this question being submitted that this was coming out of an environment where then parents and children were discussing the Sunday service, they were discussing the passage preached, and they were discussing uh, the contents of that passage. So, and this reflects that. So this question that came through today from one of uh, the kids at Peace Bible Church was this. They asked, why was Jesus given a common name at the time, even though he was so special? And so what a great question. Why was Jesus given a common name at the time, even though he was so special? And it's true that Jesus was a common name. So Jesus is what we call you know, Jesus in our English language and the way that language kind of filters down through. You see things uh, kind of change and shift and adapt over the years. And so Jesus is our English name that comes from the Greek term, which is Jesus. And that, in turn, is a Greek adaptation of the Hebrew name of uh, you know Yehoshua or Yoshua. And so the same name that we know as Joshua. So in fact, Jesus in the Bible and Joshua in the Bible have the same name. And sometimes this is just how names get filtered. Like, for example, you know, Jacob in the Old Testament 
Uh, if you see people in the New Testament named James, they actually have the same name as Jacob. It's just a way of how that was filtered through language over the years. So Jesus is given the same name as Joshua. And so if you are reading your Bible in the original Greek, you're reading your New Testament, and you came across passages like Acts 7.45 or Hebrews 4.8, these are the two times that... The Old Testament character Joshua is mentioned in the New Testament, and our translators help us by translating those ones as Joshua rather than Jesus. But if you're reading it in the Greek, you would see, again, that this is the same name. It's simply Jesus. A couple of other times uh, in Acts 13, 16, there is a Jewish false prophet whose name is Bar-Jesus. And, of course, Bar means the son of. That means that his dad was named Jesus. And then in Colossians 4.11, Paul mentions uh, one of his companions, one of his co-workers, a man named Jesus, who he says is also called Justice. So a man named Jesus, Justice. So he was just somebody that Paul mentioned at the end of the book of Colossians, just an ordinary person. So you see there that Jesus has the same name. There's... There could be other examples, but those are the three that I thought of uh, when Jesus is used in the New Testament to refer to someone else, uh, to the Old Testament figure of Joshua, to uh, the father of a false prophet, and to uh, a person mentioned at the end of Colossians by Paul. And so this does affirm what the question Uh, assumed, right, that Jesus's name was common. So why was he given a common name? It doesn't seem as common to us because in our culture, in English-speaking cultures, it's not been common for us to pass along the name of Jesus to our children. Uh, Of course, most people know that in other cultures that is common, even in other uh, cultures that have Christian heritage. So in Spanish-speaking cultures, it's very common for uh, a person to be named Jesus, which is the same name, of course, as Jesus in the Spanish Bibles. So Jesus is given the name Joshua, and we ask, so the question asks, why was he given a common name? And as I said, Luke does not tell us why. It simply says that Mary was told to name him Jesus. But in Matthew, it's Joseph who is told to name him Jesus. So we see that Mary and Joseph each were told to name their son Jesus. And in Matthew one twenty one, as the angel is speaking to Joseph, it's saying that Mary has conceived a child by the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 21, Matthew one twenty one, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so this is why Jesus was given the name Jesus, is because he would save his people from their sins. And the name Jesus, or Joshua, means that the Lord saves, that Yahweh saves. And so that's the answer there, is that that God wanted to give Jesus this, or yeah, he wanted to give Jesus that name to remind us of the salvation that he offers, that he saves his people from their sins. But... To get back to the question, why was he not given a more special name? Why was he given a common name even though he was so special? Now, a lot of people were named Jesus or Joshua in that day. Even in our day, people are still named Joshua. And this is a reminder that the Lord saves. And it's a reminder that he saves us from our sins. 
Uh, but if a lot of people are given that name, why was Jesus given the same name? This is one that the scriptures don't address directly. They don't tell us why Jesus wasn't given a more special name. Like I've kind of wondered that. You know, uh, right after that, when it says to name him Jesus, it says that this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So why was Jesus called Jesus and not, for example, Emmanuel? And the answer is we don't know. It was the will of the Lord to name him Jesus. But if I had to wager a guess, it would be this, that Jesus was given a common name because he was coming to be one of us. He was truly human. He did not grow up, you know, in a magnificent household. He didn't grow up in the king's palace. He grew up in Nazareth, in a small town, in an obscure place. He was an everyman. He worked with his hands. He was a carpenter, perhaps some sort of stonemason. He was not... Uh, in a higher class of society. He came down to live among us and he was an ordinary person. And so I think that it was, it only makes sense that he was given an ordinary name. And so he could come and live among people and be recognized as one of them. When Jesus came and he was, you know, called the Messiah, people were like, wait, what? This guy? Like, no, we know his parents. He's the carpenter's son. He's from Nazareth. We've met his family. He's just an ordinary guy. They didn't necessarily have inclination growing up that this man that they knew was going to be the Messiah because he was made like us in every way. The scriptures tell us that, that Jesus was made like us in every way except that he was without sin. And so I think it's kind of a beautiful thing that he was given a common name and not a fancy one, even though he was so special. So that's a great question. And it leads in also to our second question. We talked uh, on Sunday in the sermon about how Jesus was from Nazareth and how Nazareth was not a, a really special place. Nazareth was an ordinary place. In Luke, he had to tell his readers that Nazareth was in Galilee, probably so that they would know where he was talking about because it was such uh, and kind of out-of-the-way place. It wasn't on any of the great international trade routes in that day, and as I mentioned on Sunday, Nazareth was not mentioned in any of the contemporary Jewish literature. It's not in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned in the Apocrypha. It's not in Josephus. It's not in the rabbinic literature, any of that. And so this question concerns that, and it will again take us back to the Gospel of Matthew. It says here, You said that Nazareth isn't mentioned in the Old Testament. But in Matthew's gospel, he mentions that it was foretold that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. So where did that come from? So this gets us back into Matthew again and Matthew's infancy narratives. Matthew, uh, early on, as he's describing the early life of Jesus, he goes through a series of events and each one of these events has some common things in them. There is an appearance by an angel, there is a direction given, there is an action taken, and then it's said to be a fulfillment 
of prophecy. And so five times, I believe, there are five different like vignettes in Matthew 1 and 2 about the early life of Jesus. And so there's direction from God through an angel, there's action taken, and then there is fulfillment of prophecy. And this happens a number of times. So when we just talked about the first one that uh, Joseph was told to name this son Jesus who would save the people from their sins, and this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So that's the first fulfillment. The second one comes in Matthew 2, 5. And when they, uh, when the scribes tell Herod where the Messiah was to be born, and they say, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And then they quote, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then again, in 2.15, when Joseph and Mary are warned in a dream and they take Jesus to Egypt, it says then, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. And then Herod, of course, kills all the children in the vicinity in you know, his great wrath. And then 2.17, this was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. But then Herod dies, and Joseph and Mary come back, and they settle in Nazareth. And it says at the end of Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So, If Matthew said that this fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus would be called a Nazarene, but as we said, Nazareth is never even mentioned in the Old Testament, then where is Matthew getting this? And this has been one, it's interesting, Matthew just throws it out there. It says, you know, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets, that that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. And then you look and there's no prophecy anywhere in the Old Testament that says he shall be a Nazarene. Like it doesn't use those words in that way. And Matthew doesn't choose to explain. He just tosses this out there and he moves along. And so we're left to wonder, what does he mean by this. Well, there's some interesting things to consider. One, and I think the most significant one, is that Matthew words that one different. And so if you go back, the first one, he says what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. That's in 1.22. In 2.5, so it is written by the prophet. That's And then he quotes Micah. The first one is Isaiah. The second one is Micah. In 2.15, it says this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then he quotes Hosea. In 2.17, he names him specifically. This was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. But then in Matthew 2.23, about Jesus being a Nazarene, it says that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. So plural prophets rather than singular prophet. So the first four, Matthew says prophet and he directly quotes something from the Old Testament, whether from Isaiah, Micah, uh, Hosea, or Jeremiah. But he says, the prophet said this, and then he quotes it. And then he says, the prophet said this, that he would be called a Nazarene. And so I think that what Matthew is saying there is that this is not a direct 
quotation of Old Testament prophecy. And we know that it's not, because there is no such quotation in the Old Testament. And so a common understanding of this is that when he says that the prophets said that Jesus would be a Nazarene, this is speaking again to his humility, to his obscurity, rather than coming in great royal dignity. Like, for example, in Isaiah 53, it talks about how Jesus had no, no beauty or majesty to look at, no, no great dignity in that way. In Psalm 22, it says that he was scorned by mankind, that he was despised by people. And this is probably uh, the idea of what Matthew is getting at. He's going to come. He's going to be a Nazarene. That means that he's going to be not somebody of great prominence. He's somebody who would be looked down upon. And it's interesting, we actually see this happen directly in the Gospel of John when uh, some of the disciples come and they meet uh, Philip and they say, hey, we found the Messiah. He's Jesus of Nazareth. And Philip in John one forty six says, wait, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So this was not a great respected place. This was a place that was looked down on. So I think that when Matthew says that the prophets said that Jesus would be a Nazarene, this means that he would be looked down on, that he would come from obscurity. And we see that that this is not intended to be a direct quotation in that Matthew says prophets, plural, rather than prophet, singular, like in all of his other citations. There are a couple other theories on that, why Matthew says that Jesus would be a Nazarene. Some have had to do with like the Nazarite vow, like this might be wordplay if you're familiar with the Nazarite vow back in number six or in Judges 13 with Samson. Uh, somebody who was especially devoted to the Lord would take a Nazarite vow, so maybe there's some sort of wordplay here. I don't think that's the case because Jesus was not at all uh, taking a Nazarite vow. He, uh, you know, if you want to say that about John the Baptist, that has been theorized as a possibility. But Jesus, no. Uh, Jesus drank wine. You know, he was accused even of being a drunkard, like things like that. And the Nazarite vow involved no wine, a sort of asceticism that Jesus did not live by. Now, there's another theory on Hebrew wordplay that's interesting. And I think this is perhaps more likely is that this could be related also, maybe Matthew was hinting at the idea of uh, a Hebrew word, which is nisar, which means branch. And so it sounds again, you know, nisar kind of sounds like Nazarene or, you know, Nazareth. And this word branch is used in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. And I think this is more probable because Isaiah 11, 1 is a prophecy that says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And it goes on to describe more about this righteous branch. So a shoot from a stump, a branch from roots. This seems to be talking about somebody rising up out of obscurity. And so maybe Matthew did have that in mind as well, that he's a Nazarene, the prophets said he would be obscure, that he would be despised, and even a similar word, a Nezar, you know, a branch in Hebrew, that he would be this branch that would come forward, that he would rise up out of obscurity. So I think that's the likelihood. There's one other thing that I think is possibly what Matthew is hinting at here, uh, 
and that's that Nazareth was in the area of Galilee. And Nazareth, and one of the reasons that it was maybe looked down on some by the Jewish people as well, is that it largely had kind of a mixed population. There was mixing of Jews and Gentiles up there. That's why even in one of the prophecies that Matthew quotes, it says that Jesus would come to Galilee of the Gentiles. And that's quoted from uh, the prophet Isaiah, that Jesus would come to Galilee of the Gentiles. And so I think that's another reason maybe why we'd say that Jesus uh, was a Nazarene, because he was not coming only for the house of Israel. He was coming for all of the world. And so that's one of the great emphases in the Gospels. It's one of the great emphases in particular in the Gospel of Luke. So hopefully that answers that question well. Why would Matthew say that Jesus would be a Nazarene? I think it's speaking to his obscurity, his humility, which also relates back to our first question as to why he was given a common name. He didn't have to be given such a special name. He came to us humbly. And as we said in our sermon on Sunday, that our call then is to respond to him humbly, just as Mary did. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. And so I want to sign off here with one more uh, one more message that we got. This one came through, and I, I just wanted to share this. This was not a question so much as just an observation. Somebody was commenting here. They said, oh, the beautiful faith and submission that Mary demonstrated and her humility. And we should respond like her in our daily walk as we find the Lord's will. And they said, perhaps if we read Luke 1, 28 through 30 in a personalized way, we would see some meaning in this. And they give an example. Greetings, O one of those who are favored, that we have been favored in Christ. We have been chosen by him. We've been shown God's grace. They say, the Lord is with you, and that Christ lives in us, and we have the Holy Spirit. And then the message to Mary, do not be afraid. You should have faith. We too should have faith. And they say, do not be afraid, my child, for you have found favor with God. You've known his saving grace, and so have we. And so that's a great observation and That's my hope as we read these passages, that we see them not just as historical pieces of information, but that we apply them to our own lives. And that just as Mary did, she said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Would we find ourselves and our own lives in line with God's word? So let that be an encouragement to you today. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a great Thanksgiving this week. God bless.